Well, if you're expecting a homily about the Ascension today, you're going to have a bad time. You might remember that a couple of weeks ago I told you that we were going to do a question and answer homily. It's going to be semi-interactive. I hate interactive homilies. Don't worry, you don't have to say anything. But I asked you to email me questions that you wanted to hear about. And I have those questions. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to answer the questions that you as a cluster asked. Now these are questions that maybe you didn't know the answers to, were always too embarrassed to ask a priest, or just quite frankly were like, doggone it, I should know this. I'm old enough and I don't. So we're going to jump right in. Oh, and let me make one thing very clear to you. This is not my opinion on these questions. I will give you the official teaching of the church. You should not know how I feel personally on any of the issues that we talk about. Second, I'm very intrigued by what you did ask, because what I thought you were going to have me talk about is not really what we're going to talk about. If you had asked me before this and said, Father Dan, what do you think they're going to ask? I'd say this, this, and this. Well, you asked this, this, and this, which was actually kind of rude of you because it made me do work, okay? I knew the answers to these, but I didn't know the answers. Well, I mean, I knew them, but I had to look them up to make sure I knew the answers. So, thanks. <laughs> First question, what is your opinion about transgender men competing in women's sports? I already told you, my opinion doesn't matter. But it is the teaching of our diocese here in Richmond that biological males should compete against biological males and biological females against biological females. Now this is one of the arguments, not the only argument, but one of the arguments used by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops as to why Catholics should oppose the Equality Bill. Next question. What is the church's position on Catholics who espouse racism and white supremacy? Really? Like, like you have to have me answer that? Come on. But like I said, the teaching of the church is this. A Catholic may not be a Catholic in good standing and also be racist or espouse racist ideologies. Being a racist means that at some level you are judging others, another group of people, based on superficial characteristics. That one group of people is inferior to another. At that point, you are judging God's creation as being deficient in some way. If we are all made in the image and likeness of God, then your judging of another is telling God that what he has made is somehow lacking. Thus, we place ourselves above God. You know who else did that? The devil. Furthermore, in the history of America, one of the largest groups that was attacked both physically and politically by the KKK were Catholics. Next question. Is it all right for a catechist, someone who teaches the faith, a catechist of the church to be in a marriage that was not witnessed by a priest in a Catholic church? The marriage in a Catholic church may happen. I'm sorry, a marriage outside of a Catholic church may happen, but only when special dispensation by the bishop is given on a case-by-case -case basis. That being said, for all others, the word catechist comes from the Greek, which means to echo. The role of the catechist is as the memory of the church, and they as a person are to echo the faith in both their instruction and language in the modeling of their lifestyle. If one is in an irregular marriage, one that was not sacramentally performed or blessed by the church, they are not modeling what the church asks of its members as it pertains to marriage. Next question. Can a person who is not in a marriage, I'm sorry, who a person who is not in a marriage blessed by the Catholic Church receive Holy Communion. 
is it okay for someone to be divorced and receive Holy Communion? Two different issues. First, divorce. If you are divorced and not remarried, absolutely receive communion. If you are divorced and remarried, generally speaking, there are always exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, it is not okay to receive communion because tacitly they are committing the sin of adultery until such time as the former marriage is either annulled or the former spouse dies. Death cures everything in the Catholic Church. <laughs> now, is it okay for a person who is in a marriage not blessed by the church to receive Holy Communion? Well, also technically no. If someone is married outside of the church and is baptized Catholic, they should have their marriage blessed by the church in a convalidation before receiving communion. Next question. What happens in a marriage if one person is unfaithful? Should the marriage be kept? Now let's be very clear about this. While infidelity causes a pain beyond imagining, based on infidelity alone, that does not make the marriage null. It is not grounds for an annulment based purely on the infidelity. Other factors must be present and be able to be proved that one or both of the intended spouses did not intend marriage to be permanent and exclusive in the way that the church intends for marriage to be at the time that they entered into the marriage covenant. So it has to be provable that at the time they entered the marriage, there was something lacking. An annulment is not a Catholic divorce. It is merely a statement saying the sacrament never happened because something was not there. Next question. If an adolescent decides to become a different gender, what is the church's teaching? Now, this is a very nuanced answer. First of all, at the time when our catechism was written, transgender issues, gender fluidity, and gender dysphoria were not on the forefront of the social conscience. Our catechism was written, I think, in 1993. That being said, even though the two issues I'm about to talk to are very different, the same logic applies to those who are transgender as to those who are homosexual. The church says this in the catechism in paragraph 2357. Homosexuality refers to relations between men or between women who experience an exclusive or predominant sexual attraction towards persons of the same sex. It takes a great variety of forms, or it has taken a great variety of forms through the centuries and in different cultures. Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. So let's be very clear. The church says that there is a history of it. And what is the origin? We don't know. We're not sociologists. We're not going to say this is what causes homosexuality. Sacred scripture, which presents homosexual acts as acts of grave depravity, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the natural law. They are closed to the sexual gift and act of life, and they do not proceed from a genuine, effective, and sexual complementarity. So these are the three reasons that the church is opposed to sexual actions between homosexuals. Under no circumstances can they be approved. Next paragraph, and here's where it gets good. The number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. They do not choose their homosexual condition. For most of them, it is a trial. So the church is very clear that the number of people who deal with this is not a small number, and it isn't something that we can just pass off as, oh, well, that's someone else's problem, whatever. Listen very carefully to the next statement. They must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. 
This is not my opinion. This is the official catechism of the Catholic Church. These persons are called to fulfill God's will in their lives, and if they are Christians, to unite to the sacrifice of the Lord's cross these difficulties that may encounter with their condition. So again, I am in no way saying that homosexuality and those people that deal with gender dysphoria are in any way the same. But I am saying that it is the teaching of the church that all persons, regardless of sexual identity or attraction or any other category that you could put someone in, must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. But let me also be very clear. That does not mean that I accept the actions that people may choose to participate in if they be sinful actions. It doesn't matter, married, single, homosexual, straight, trans, or anything else. If someone is participating in sinful behavior, we should tell them of our desire for them to stop, pray for them, and love them as a person who is made in the image and likeness of God, regardless of if they listen to us and stop the behavior. Next question. What is the church's stance on people living together before marriage? Don't do it. <laughs> Father Dan, can you please address factions in the U.S. Catholic Church? No. I don't know what that question's asking, honestly, without any further context. But I can say this. The church provides a wide array of expressions of worship for her children. Just because you like things one way and someone else likes them another, as long as they are both within what the church allows, neither option is wrong. The next one isn't really a direct question, so to speak, only because I received multiple submissions revolving around the same question. Worded differently, some people took up support for and some people took up support against. But the majority of the, of the questions that I received over the last couple of weeks had to do with Joe Biden and the reception of Holy Communion. Now, as Catholics, we fully participate in the celebration of the Eucharist when we receive Holy Communion. We are encouraged to receive Communion devoutly and frequently. In order to be properly disposed to receive Communion, participants should not be conscious of grave sin and normally should have fasted for one hour. A person who is conscious of grave sin is not to receive the body and blood of our Lord without prior sacramental confession, except for a grave reason where there is no opportunity for confession. In this case, the person is to be mindful of the obligation to make an act of perfect contrition, including the intention of confessing as soon as possible. That is canon number 916 from canon law. A frequent reception of the sacrament of penance is also encouraged for all. Now the issue becomes different when it's a public figure who claims the Catholic faith, but stands in opposition to what the church teaches. The church has often stated that to avoid public scandal, people who are known to be in opposition, of, in, in opposition to the church, living in mortal sin, or place themselves in some way at odds with the church, should not present themselves for the reception of communion. That being said, as it pertains to public figures, it is also supposed to be up to the individual's bishop whether or not they should present themselves for communion. As the bishop may be privy to circumstances and details of the person's life that the public is not aware of. In that case, pastoral judgment should be applied. 
The issue of elected officials who support abortion and also claim to be Catholic starts at the voting booth. People only become in positions of power if we vote them in. So the issue then becomes, how should a Catholic vote? The Conference of Bishops in the United States makes it very clear. Not all social issues are the same. Some are so important that we call them preeminent, putting them above all others. These issues deserve the most consideration when we evaluate which candidates to vote for. Catholics must discern elected officials' views on abortion and hold them accountable for them, which the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops calls our preeminent priority. Catholic politicians who vote for laws or fund bills that promote abortion should not present themselves for Holy Communion because they have committed the grave sin of formally cooperating with a grave evil. This is a quote from Cardinal Ratzinger in 2004. He would become Pope Benedict a few months later. Regarding the grave sin of abortion or euthanasia, when a person's formal cooperation becomes manifest, understood in the case of a Catholic politician, as his consistently campaigning and voting for permissive abortion and euthanasia laws, his pastor should meet with him, instruct him about the church's teaching, informing him that he is not to present himself for Holy Communion until he brings to an end the objective situation of sin, and warning him that he will otherwise be denied the Eucharist. This is also a quote from Cardinal Ratzinger. In another venue, he answered this question saying, not all moral issues have the same moral weight. If a Catholic were to be at odds with the Holy Father on the application of capital punishment or on the decision to wage war, he would not for that reason be considered unworthy to present himself for Holy Communion. There may be a legitimate diversity of opinion even among Catholics about waging war or applying the death penalty, but not, however, with regard to abortion and euthanasia. An intrinsically evil act is something that is always wrong, no matter the circumstances. No policy goal, no public good, no sweet-sounding campaign promise can ever justify it. This is why the USCCB says that all moral issues do not carry the same moral weight, and that they morally, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and that the moral obligation to oppose policies promoting intrinsically evil acts has a special claim on our consciences and our actions. The USCCB also added that other intrinsically evil acts besides abortion include euthanasia, assisted suicide, cloning, redefining marriage, genocide, torture, targeting civilians in war, and subjecting, uh, and subjecting workers to inhumane conditions. A Catholic can never vote for a candidate because the Catholic supports an intrinsic evil. We can also never vote for a candidate who endorses an intrinsic evil just because we agree that that candidate, sorry, we agree with that candidate on issues, however important. So back to the issue at hand on whether or not Catholic politicians who support abortion should be denied communion. According to Trent Horn, Catholic apologist and national evangelist, without, I'm sorry, withholding the Eucharist from someone is an act of mercy towards them. Because as 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, when you receive the Eucharist, if we receive it in an unworthy state, we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. That's why it's a mortal sin to receive the Eucharist in the state of mortal sin. 
Now, I'm not making a proclamation that Joe Biden or anyone else is in the state of mortal sin, for I am not capable of looking at somebody's soul. But other people argue that since we can't see someone's soul, how should we withhold the Eucharist from them? We can't see someone's soul, that's true, but we can absolutely see their actions. If someone engages in gravely evil action, not only is it for their benefit, but by withholding the Eucharist from them, especially if they are a prominent individual, like a well-known politician, it serves to prevent scandal. Now, scandal comes from the Greek word, which means stone, something you trip over or fall over. From keeping people like Catholic politicians from becoming stumbling blocks that cause people to fall is a good thing to do. If we look at Catholic politicians and think, oh, well, here's Biden, he receives the Eucharist, he goes to Mass, he's in good standing with the Church, and he's pro-choice, then people would logically make the argument, why can't I also be pro-choice? We also have critics that say we shouldn't be withholding the Eucharist to Catholic politicians because it becomes a bargaining chip. But when should the Church withhold the Eucharist from a Catholic politician? When should it withhold it? What issues are that big? Now, maybe, I'm sorry, uh, if we aren't to withhold the Eucharist because of someone's odious political positions, then when should we? If it's okay to give a politician the Eucharist because they vote for and actively support the, legal, the legality of dismembering children, what's off the table? Literally nothing. Maybe you know American history better than I did, but back in the 1960s, during the Civil Rights Movement and racial segregation, Archbishop Joseph Rummel was the Archbishop of New Orleans. He worked to integrate all of the Catholic schools in New Orleans and had many members of the laity form a committee to oppose him because they wanted to uphold racial segregation. Archbishop Rummel told them very directly that racial segregation is an evil, it is a sin. And if you oppose racial integration at Catholic schools in New Orleans, then you are excommunicated. Now, I already told you earlier that racism is an evil and that it's a sin. And those especially Catholic politicians who would support an evil like racial segregation should have the Eucharist withheld from them. So what about those who support abortion? Now, everybody is a sinner, that's true. But not everybody has the power to cast their vote as an elected official. Votes that uphold or expand the dismembering of small humans. Now, am I being graphic when I describe it this way? You bet your butt I am. Because I'm trying to get across to you the gravity of the situation that we're talking about. And that not all moral issues have the same moral weight. To argue that uh, all sins are equivalent is absurd and it's merely trying to water down sin in an attempt to protect a politician. St. John Chrysostom back in the fourth century said that if being conscious of grave sin in anyone, you allow that person to partake from the table of the Lord, his blood shall be required at your hands. Even if it is a general or a government official, even the emperor himself, if he comes unworthily, forbid him from receiving communion. The authority that you have is greater than his. Now, some people will ask, if Biden is pro-choice, doesn't that mean that he is automatically excommunicated? 
Well, frankly, no, because the Code of Canon Law says that excommunication is incurred by someone who procures an abortion. And nearly every canon lawyer will tell you that the way the code is written, that to procure an abortion means you physically have to be the woman who submits to the abortion, a man who pays for the abortion, or the doctor who directly performs the abortion, or directly involved in the act itself somehow, not just the politician who upholds it. You might say, well, but the politician upholds it. They allow for many abortions to take place. That's gravely evil. And you're right, it absolutely is. But not every gravely evil act leads to automatic excommunication. Murder, rape, these are both grave evils, but they are not excommunicable offenses. Many politicians like to argue and say that while they are personally opposed to abortion, they cannot affect someone else's right to choose. This line is the line going all the way back to President Kennedy. Let's apply that same logic to something else and see if it holds water. Now, I'm personally not opposed to lynching, but I really can't take away the choice of the mob to do what they want to do. Anyone want to try and uphold that? Now, ultimately, Biden, Pelosi, or any other politician is just one person. And we should worry less about the state of someone else's soul and worry more about our own. We have no bearing on what happens when anyone goes before the particular judgment after they die. The only person that we can affect is ourself. So when Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and every other politician that has ever lived and will ever live goes before the Lord, they and they alone will have to answer for all of the actions of their lives, just like every single one of us will have to answer for our lives. Now, whether Joe Biden receives communion or not, we should be worried about how we come in the state of our souls when we come forward to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, and less worried about anyone else and their worthiness. We can only affect our soul by prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Praying for the souls in purgatory, penance, and personal mortification also help. The scriptures make it very clear, though, that if someone receives the Eucharist in the state of mortal sin, they heap sins upon themselves. I will not worry about the state of Joe Biden's soul. I will worry about my own. If the President of the United States ever comes to Mass here, at that time, we will address whether or not he receives communion.